0: Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast where we dig into God's Word together and find life through Jesus Christ. My name is Charlie Matz, filling in for Ben Blakey. It's Thursday, the 3rd of September, 2020. Distraction. I remember a lesson I learned about distraction when I was learning to drive in northern Michigan. I got my license exactly 24 years ago today, actually, and the timing of when I got my license gave me about uh, two to three months to practice driving until winter arrived, which was always a bit intense in northern Michigan, especially right off the coast of Lake Michigan. During my first winter, I learned several valuable lessons about distraction. You see, one evening, as I was coming home from a friend's house, my thoughts began to wander, and I was no longer thinking about driving things, but rather non-driving things. (laughs) And before I knew it, I was slightly off course, and because of the slippery roads, that's all it took for me to end up in the ditch. Here's a few things that I learned that evening. One, distraction doesn't have to be profound. It is simply not keeping my thoughts on the task at hand. Two, distraction can cause problems quickly and without warning. Three, the smallest distraction can cause a pretty big problem. Today, as we navigate through 2 Timothy 2.1-13, 2, let's keep those lessons in mind because I'm convinced that the biggest threat to our effectiveness in the church today is distraction. I want to focus on two things that Paul says, especially in light of the world we're living in today. First, in verse 3, we read, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Paul is perhaps preparing Timothy for greater persecution that is heading his way, and he wants to help him focus by encouraging him in this way. Brothers and sisters, as you hear my voice today, I'd like to reiterate what Paul is saying here to Timothy. We need to uh, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus, and I want to kind of throw out a warning. In just the next chapter, Paul is going to say to Timothy, Indeed, all who desire to live godly, a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. In his book, The Gathering Storm, Albert Moeller gives a solemn warning of what's to come for Christianity in America. And I pray that none of us are whiplashed by what's to come, but rather prayerfully prepared for it. I don't say this as a means to scare you, but rather prepare you. Perhaps today as we read 2 Timothy 2 afresh, we can begin to prayerfully prepare our hearts as good soldiers of Jesus Christ for how to prepare for suffering that is headed our way. Uh, Once we're aware of what's coming, we want to make sure that we're not distracted, which brings me to verse 4. In verse 4, we read, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuit since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. The key word here is entangled. We know from the entirety of Scripture that we are not to remove ourselves from the world. No, we need to be in the world. We need to be a light and share the gospel, but we don't want to get entangled. Well, what does that mean? Maybe for context, these uh, couple of verses will help. Romans twelve two: do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may, dis- may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And then in 1 John 2.15, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And this isn't talking about loving the people in the world or the souls that we are to go and tell the good news of the gospel. This is talking about the world's systems, the things that tempt us, that Satan uses us to get off track and distracted. In summary, we are letting our mind or our heart long for or passionately engage in the things of this world. So a question to think about today, are you spending a dis Proportionate amount of time, money, and energy on non Christian things. Just like me driving in my car and focusing on non driving things, if we focus our attention on non Christian things, we could end up in the ditch spiritually. We continue with our Psalms reading today, picking up in Psalm 105, verses 1 through 11. As I read this Psalm today, I was really encouraged. I was encouraged to proclaim the character and grace of God to a hurting world encouraged to delight in what he has said and done already encouraged to praise him for past blessings mercies and grace one takeaway for me was this god's character and deeds are worth talking about far and above anything else in my life first one says oh give thanks to the lord call upon his name make known his deeds among the peoples as we read this psalm it might be a good time to examine how much airtime we're giving to god in our social circles whether online or in person as a believer God's character indeed should be the headline and the through line of everything that we talk about. This psalm is chock full of the talking points of God. Two that stuck out to me were in verse 2 and 8. Verse 2 says, Tell of all his wondrous works. Now more than ever, let's tell our family, friends, co workers what God has done and what he will do. Verse 8, it says, He remembers his covenant forever. In a world of constant lies and misinformation that we're experiencing right now, are we pointing others to the only one who will never lie and will always keep his promises? Tomorrow's passage in Psalm 105 will begin to recount how God guided, protected, and provided for Israel as evidence of his never-changing character. The God that the psalmist is praising for his provision for Israel is the same God that we serve today. We continue with Proverbs 12 through 14 today in the Old Testament, getting more of these rapid-fire ways to live wisely. Again, I want to highlight a few that stood out to me today. First, 12.1 comes out with a bang. I always laugh when I read through the Proverbs and get to this one just because of how bold it is. It says, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. As one commentator put it, if you think yourself above criticism you are not worth it. This is something to really keep in mind as we have brothers and sisters who might come to us with reproof from scripture. Are we open to it or are we guarded? It's pretty convicting when we read uh, this uh, chapter 12 verse 1. Second in chapter 13 verse 18, it says, poverty and disgrace come to him who ignores instruction, but whoever heeds reproof is honored. Again, is there a brother or sister in Christ coming to you with biblical warnings or rebuke? The consequences to not listening might be more harsh than you and I realize. And then in chapter 14, verse 4, it says, where there are no oxen, the manger is clean, but abundant crops come by the strength of the ox. Now, this is not condoning messiness due to a lack of responsibility, but rather noting that abundant crops come with a cost. If you want to be used Uh, by God mightily in ministry, there will be times when things will be messy. The very means to get the work done is going to mean that you have to let go of having the perfectly tidy life that you desire. Trust me, I am a neat freak. I like things uh, in orderly rows and clean, but God has made it clear on several occasions that sterility has no place in the Christian life. Uh, Should we aim to be responsibly ordered? Yes. Uh, Should we avoid certain ministry tasks because our house might get messy or our plans might not feel in control? No. We need to say yes to the temporary mess if we want the abundant crops of ministry. We pick up our Gospels reading today in Luke 17, verses 1-10. through Our passage starts with Jesus assuring us that, temptations are sure to come, and we shouldn't be surprised when they knock at our door. Then comes a hefty warning for those who cause temptation. In verse 2, Jesus says, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea, then that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Uh, If you know what a millstone is, you understand the severity of what he's saying. If you don't, look it up. Um, But you need to really think about how serious is it to cause someone to sin well, its consequence is more serious than drowning with a millstone around your neck that's pretty intense and and it's really a good great warning and reminder to us that it's it's not only sin is not only offensive to a holy God but when we cause someone to sin, we are directly opposing that holy God. Jesus continues telling us how to behave. When a brother sins, we are to rebuke them. The Bible makes it clear that rebuking a brother who is sinning is loving, not mean or demeaning in any way. Rebuking a brother who has sinned gives them a chance to repent and reconcile with anyone that they may have hurt. This is a model of the gospel. We know from other scripture that we aren't to rebuke someone because of what we guess, Or assume is in their heart, but rather an outward behavior or fruit that is witnessed. There's a lot of misunderstanding about judgment among Christians, and Pastor Ben touched on this brilliantly in his last message. But the Bible is clear. Judgment of our brother's heart is impossible and wrong. Judgment of their behavior is possible and biblical. Then Jesus says, if he repents, forgive him, and goes on to say that if uh, he does it to you seven times in a day, you still must forgive him in judaism at the time it was considered honorable honorable to forgive someone 3 times jesus is asking his disciples and us to live up to a higher standard of grace a higher standard of forgiveness because we've been forgiven much by jesus christ the apostles reply with increase our faith. It seems they thought it would take great faith to forgive in a manner that Jesus was talking about. Jesus replies by talking about how if they have uh, faith like a grain of mustard seed, they could say to a mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey them. Apparently, this mulberry tree was known to be super solid, Uh, in this time. Its roots were so strong that it was thought to be living around 600 years or so. It was basically thought to be immovable. In other words, it was a hard task to uproot it and throw it anywhere according to human reason and experience. Jesus isn't suggesting that they throw trees into the sea, but rather focus their faith on God being genuine. Then they'll be able to see things accomplished for the kingdom of God that defy human reason and experience. Jesus continues in verse 7 through 10. I want to note that he's not encouraging us to be inconsiderate or rude. This is more of an illustration to point out that we are unworthy servants ourselves and God owes us nothing. Perhaps this comes right after Christ's encouragement about having much faith, knowing that our tendency is to want credit for what God has done when he uses us as an instrument. It would be easy to be used by God to do something spiritually important. Perhaps you've experienced this and then turn around and want God to thank us uh, for what he did uh, through us. That's why Jesus here is using this example of the slave and the master. Uh, Will there be rewards in heaven? Yes, we know this from scripture, but our attitude should be one of humility, serving God as his willing servant, lest we start to think that it's in our own power that we do anything. As I finished reading this passage this morning, I praise God for a few things. Perhaps these resonate with you. One, for the Holy Spirit, that he gives me the self-control needed to not cause others to be tempted to sin. Seeing the seriousness of the consequences of this action, I'm overwhelmed with gratitude for God keeping me in check. Two, for the instructions on rebuking a brother and forgiving them. This helps me not to act emotionally when someone is sinning against me or around me. I can keep it simple and go to scripture to follow God's prescription when things get cloudy due to my emotions. Three, that I am a servant of a good master. I can work for the Lord knowing that He is perfectly loving, just, and holy. It's so much easier to pour my life out for the Lord knowing that He is all of those things. I want to take you back to Michigan in 1996 again. I'm on the road driving on the dangerous and difficult winter roads a few days after going into the ditch. Now my hands are firmly placed on the steering wheel, my eyes are focused on the road, and my mind is occupied with driving things. My prayer for our church is that we would have our hands firmly placed on the Word of God, our eyes focused on Jesus, and our mind occupied with Christian things, so that our lives don't end up in a spiritual ditch during the storm that is coming our way.